At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our message series, Soul Food, when a meal with Jesus was more than food, we'll unpack what Jesus has to teach us from the time He spent around the table. Here in the ordinary, everyday sharing of a meal, we'll discover who Jesus came for, what it takes to be with Him, and how you and I can be changed by His greatness and grace. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you all in worship and look forward to opening God's word as we continue to worship him. My name is C.T. Eldridge, one of the pastors here, and I'm um, excited about Holy Week. Um, today's Palm Sunday where we remember Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem uh, just on the verge of his betrayal, his arrest, his condemnation, and his crucifixion on Friday. And then, gratefully, uh, his resurrection on Sunday. So this is an awesome week and I pray that it is beneficial to us spiritually um, and beneficial to our community spiritually. Well, as I said, we're going to open God's Word this morning, and we are continuing in the Gospel of Luke. If you have a copy of the Scriptures and are following along with us, we are in Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14 is where we are. We've titled this series Soul Food, and our life groups are reading a book that correlates with the sermon series. The book's called A Meal with Jesus. And we're really skipping our way through the Gospel of Luke, looking at different significant mealtime scenes from the life of Christ. The way he used everyday experience of eating in order to connect with people and minister the Gospel to people. And there's a lot of profound things that happen in these scenes. Um, and there is no difference in the scene we're going to look at today. It's very powerful. Um, but to understand the context of these verses, we really need to understand the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. If you've read the Gospels before, then you are familiar, at least to some degree, that Jesus was in direct conflict with the religious establishment in Jerusalem. And that is especially true for this group known as the Pharisees. And it was this conflict that is ultimately what got Jesus arrested and crucified. So their conflict is central to the narrative arc of the Gospels, the tension, the climax, and ultimately the resolution through his resurrection. So in Luke chapter 5, the Pharisees are introduced to us and what we see in chapter 5 and chapter 6 is that the Pharisees are questioning Jesus. They are skeptical of Jesus. Uh, you may remember the scene when some friends bring their paralytic friend to Jesus in order for Jesus to heal them. Jesus not only heals the man, he forgives the man. And the Pharisees question him. Who is this who forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. Who is this man? Um, and then later, Jesus is at a party with a bunch of, quote, tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees again question Jesus. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Um, and then later, later on, they question him. Why do John the Baptist's disciples fast and your disciples don't fast? Then at the beginning of Luke chapter 6, they question him again. When Jesus heals the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Who are you to do this? So they're questioning him. But then in Luke chapter 6, verse 11, there's a transition. There's a pivot. And the Pharisees' opposition to Jesus intensifies. You see it there in Luke chapter 6, verse 11. It says that the Pharisees were filled with fury, and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So this is them 
ramping up the intensity of their opposition to Christ. And this is them then determining their uh, determination to eliminate him, which ultimately leads to his arrest and his crucifixion. So their posture towards him goes from not only questioning him, but then accusing him. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, the Pharisees say, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman is touching him, for she is a sinner. You remember that scene from Luke chapter 7. We looked at it a few weeks ago, where the woman is weeping over Jesus' feet and washing his feet with her hair. She's so broken over her sin. And the Pharisees see this scene and they say, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. So you hear that accusatory tone. They're not just questioning him. They're accusing him. But Jesus pushes back. Jesus pushes back against these guys. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1 specifically, he's coming down hard on the Pharisees and he says this about them to his disciples. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus says, in the meantime... When so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another in order to be close to Jesus, Jesus began to say to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. That was the heart of Jesus' problem with the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. Beware of their hypocrisy, he says. The Pharisees look all cleaned up on the outside. They have their act together on the outside, but on the inside is pure filth. That's hypocrisy. Putting on a show, putting on a mask. In this case, it was a religious spiritual mask that the Pharisees demonstrated, but the inside was filth. They also said one thing and did another, which is what we're going to see in today's passage. They were hypocrites. Another note before we read this passage, Jesus is going to um, heal a man with a disease called dropsy. Um, which is the modern-day equivalent to the disease referred to as edema. You may be familiar with edema. It's a disease in which the limbs of a person, especially their feet, will swell up. Oftentimes due to a problem with their kidneys and the way they process blood, their feet will swell up. So they look odd, and they also oftentimes are not able to move around very much because of issues with their hands and feet. So that's what dropsy is. Okay, Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. I'll read these verses for us. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, the Pharisees were watching him closely. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But the Pharisees remained silent. Then Jesus took the man with dropsy and healed him and sent him away. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And the Pharisees could not reply to these things. Now Jesus told a parable to those who were invited to the dinner when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by the host, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. 
And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, Do not invite your friends, do not invite your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Elbows off the table. Take your hat off. Four on the floor. Don't lean back in your chair. Chew with your mouth closed. Don't pick up your food with your hands. Use your fork. Now you're holding the fork wrong. Use your utensil correctly. And don't reach across the table. Ask if you need something. Don't take such big bites. Use your napkin, not your sleeve. As I say that barrage of commands, some of you may have flashbacks to scenes from your childhood or maybe even scenes from last week. What all these things refer to, of course, are table manners, dining etiquette. There is a way that we are supposed to eat and there are ways we are not supposed to eat, according to my grandma. We don't just rush to the dinner table and bury our faces in our food. And so our parents, our grandparents, maybe even our siblings, we receive all these corrections from them. Don't do that. Do this. You know how to eat. Stop being a pig. And a lot of these rules, I just got to say, seem really petty. Let's be honest. Like, why no elbows on the table? And why do you have to hold your fork in a certain way? And why do you have to set the utensils around the plate in a certain order? These all just seem really arbitrary and pointless. And my 12-year-old self had a hard time enjoying some of my meals with all these corrections and criticisms for the way I'm trying to eat. It's like a mealtime test. And you're being inspected and evaluated the whole time. Well, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is invited to the home of a ruler of the Pharisees for a meal. You guys remember the Pharisees. They were this very conservative, strict sect within Judaism. They were so strict in their adherence to God's law, they created rules around the rules so that they wouldn't even come close to breaking God's law. For example, in the passage we're looking at today, they added a rule around the Sabbath day command. The Sabbath command was that God's people were to rest and not work for an entire day, the seventh day of the week. It's probably my favorite rule in the Bible. Do nothing for a whole day. You must But the Pharisees added to that law so that you can't even help someone who's in distress on the Sabbath because by helping them, you are, in a sense, working and you can't work on the Sabbath. So you see how they added to the rules because they were very strict and morally conservative in that way. Well, as I said earlier, throughout his ministry, Jesus is in direct conflict with the Pharisees. The Pharisees have questioned Jesus, they have grumbled about him, they are suspicious of him, and they are eventually infuriated by him and determined to destroy him. So they set up a mealtime test. 
On a Sabbath day, one of these Pharisees hosts a meal, and he's going to invite Jesus to join them at the meal. But before Jesus gets there, the Pharisee makes sure that this sick man, this man with dropsy, is brought into the house because he wants to test Jesus. He wants to see, will Jesus break the Sabbath by working on the Sabbath and healing this man? He's trying to entrap Jesus. He's trying to manufacture a way of being able to say, Jesus is a lawbreaker and he should be condemned as a lawbreaker. But what we're going to see is that Jesus turns the table on them. Jesus confronts their hypocrisy and he instructs them. He shows them a new way of living in the world. The Pharisees want to test Jesus, but he ends up testing them. He lives them speechless And he exposes them to the truth about who they are, completely unable to defend themselves. And the first lesson he challenges them and us with is to prioritize compassion over tradition. Prioritize compassion over tradition. So look once more at verses 1 through 4. Luke writes, One Sabbath... Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man with dropsy, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees. So now Jesus can discern what's going on here. They're watching him closely. They're testing him. They're evaluating him. Will he heal on the Sabbath? Will he work on God's day of rest? But before they can ask Jesus, Jesus questions them. Verse 3, Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So they're trying to question Jesus. They're trying to test Jesus, but Jesus questions them. Jesus puts them on trial. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? New Testament scholar Daryl Bach explains what Jesus has done here. Commenting on these verses, he says this, quote, Jesus' question leaves the Pharisees in an unenviable position. If the Pharisees say that the healing is permitted on the Sabbath then it raises problems about their tradition and their view of God's law. But if they say that the healing is not permitted, then they will be seen as standing against doing good and showing compassion. So you see how Jesus turns their test for him into a test for them. If they answer Jesus and say that it's right to heal on the Sabbath, then they contradict their tradition. But if they answer Jesus and say that it's wrong to heal on the Sabbath, then they look like heartless jerks. And so how do they answer Jesus? Luke writes at the beginning of verse 4, they remained silent. The rest of verse 4 then says, Jesus took the sick man and healed him and sent him away. And this word translated took, it's the kind of taking that involves touching. Like if I take my child and take them to their car seat, Well, you understand that this involves at least taking them by the hand or maybe completely picking them up, taking them into my arms. That's what Luke means here by took. And so later in Luke chapter 23, verse 26, the same Greek word translated seized. It says they physically seized Simon of Cyrene and forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Again, that's what happens here. Jesus physically takes the man, 
He touches the diseased man, sick and disfigured as he was. He may not have been touched in years. It is very possible that he may have had no physical contact with another human for years. But Jesus takes him. Jesus touches him and the the man is healed. It's a remarkable act of compassion. Jesus then questions the Pharisees again. He says in verse 5, Which of you, having a son or an ox, that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out. And they could not answer these things. So once again, Jesus turns their trap for him into a trap for them. You can't trick the trickster. He's too good. He's got every angle on you. You can't judge the judge. As the saying goes, you will be caught with your pants down. Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. Your tradition allows that you show compassion to animals, but not people. This makes me think about the situation on the road sometimes when a group of animals is trying to cross a heavily trafficked road. For whatever reason, I feel like it's always ducks that don't seem to have a lot of urgency, and they usually are leading their children, ducklings, across. So you'd think they'd get a move on or at least be cautious, but no. They just waddle out there. But of course, what do we do? We stop and we wait. We maybe even comment, oh, how cute, the little duck family. Look, guys. But what if it were people crossing the road? What if it were people getting in our way, slowing us down? We'd be like, get out of the way, you idiot. Are you from another country? Crosswalks back there. Can you read? It reminds me of Jonah, who got upset about his plant being destroyed but did not get upset about the Ninevites potentially getting destroyed. Their hypocrisy is revealed in the way they prioritized animals over people. And the Pharisees, once again, couldn't respond to Jesus because he was forcing them to realize they had failed to prioritize compassion over their tradition. The Sabbath was meant to be God's gift to his people so that they could make sure to have rest, so that they could have one day every week to remember God is always working for us. God is always providing for us so we can rest in his provision for us. The Sabbath was meant to be a blessing to us. It wasn't meant to be an excuse for us not to show compassion to those in need. So church, we must constantly be asking ourselves, What is our attitude toward the poor and broken? What is our approach to the oppressed and the needy? Are we suspicious of them? Do we judge them? Well, they can't be trusted. They must have done something to get themselves in this position. We need to keep a distance. Church, this is not the heart of Jesus at all. He takes hold of this man. He heals this man. He challenges the traditions. He challenges conventional wisdom about how to approach the poor. And the Pharisees fail this mealtime test. What about us? An important barometer for measuring our spiritual condition is our compassion or our lack of compassion for the poor the diseased, the broken? Do we care? 
Are we concerned? Are we willing to be near them, to touch them, to love them? At this dinner party, Jesus teaches us to prioritize compassion over tradition. And secondly, he challenges us to show humility over self-assertion. Show humility over self-assertion. So after Jesus heals the man, after he questions the Pharisees about the way they show compassion to their animals but not people, Jesus then shares a parable, starting in verse 7. Luke writes, Now Jesus told the parable to those who were invited when he noticed how the invitees chose the places of honor. Jesus said to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will, with shame, begin to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, sit in the lowest place at first, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. So apparently, the eating habits of the Pharisees not only exposed their lack of compassion, it also exposed their lack of humility. And this is just another example of their hypocrisy. So think about it. The Pharisees would have been the first to say that they want to honor God. They would have been the first to say that they want to live a life that honors God. But through this parable, Jesus is saying that you're really seeking to honor yourselves. That's the hypocrisy at play. You act like you want to live a God-honoring life, but it's really all about you. And one of the ways this plays out at the dinner party is that they were all jockeying for the seat of honor. So apparently it was common at a little more formal gatherings to have a U-shaped arrangement of the tables. And the host of the dinner party would always sit at the center of the U. So he was the center of attention in that way. And the seats to the left and right of the host were the seats of honor. The idea was that whoever sat closest to the host was the most significant person to the host. And with the same maturity level of two teenage brothers fighting for the front seat of the car for a ride across town, these Pharisees would try to maneuver and position themselves so that they could sit at the head of the table. I got front seat. I called it first. I don't care. I touched the handle first. Like that's the maturity ultimately and the shallowness of these Pharisees. They want to be seen by other people. They want to be honored by other people. They want to be esteemed by other people. But Jesus says just the opposite is going to happen. Verse 14, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. In this life, if you fight, if you work, if you give your life to be honored and esteemed and well thought of by people, then in the age to come, it will come crashing down. But in this life, if you humble yourself, then in the age to come, you will be exalted. The way up is down. If you care about the opinions of man, if you care about what other people think about you, if you fight to be honored and exalted in this life, but... If you care about the opinion of God, if we care about what God thinks, then we will humble ourselves in this life and wait for God to honor us in the next. So church, we must ask ourselves, 
do we have any of this self-asserting, dying to be close to people in power kind of spirit? Do we have an unhealthy craving to be recognized, to be regarded? Or are we content to take the back seat? Are we secure enough to sit in the cheap seats and not be seen by others and not feel like my identity hangs in the balance based on what others think of me? Friends, in Jesus, we can have that kind of security. We don't have to be first in this life. We don't have to be exalted in this life because there is a great end time reversal coming when the first will be last and the last will be first, when the exalted will be humbled and the humbled will be exalted. So as supposedly religious and concerned with God as they were, in truth, the Pharisees cared more about their tradition than compassion, and they cared more about the opinions of people than God. So instead, Jesus teaches them to prioritize compassion over tradition and show humility over self-assertion. And finally, he's going to say, demonstrate impartiality over favoritism. Demonstrate impartiality over favoritism. So listen again to verses 12 through 14. Jesus speaks to the man who invited him to the party, and he says this. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends. Do not invite your brothers. Do not invite your relatives. Do not invite your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, Then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In other words, Jesus says to the man, your invitation list reveals where your heart is. In the same way that our attitude toward the poor is a barometer for our spiritual condition, our invitation list to our dinner parties is a barometer for our spiritual condition and what's in our hearts. And what Jesus is saying here to the Pharisees is what's in your heart is hypocrisy. You say that you want to serve God, but you only serve those who can serve you back. He's saying your motives aren't pure. You're hosting this dinner party seemingly in the spirit of hospitality and generosity, but in truth, you're not serving us, you're serving yourself. You're giving to us for what we can give you back. So you see how Jesus is exposing him. They tried to set him up and pin him down, but Jesus, with his sage-like insight and his pointed questions, they're just getting gutted. And again, this time it's about partiality. It's about favoritism. They give for what they can get out of it. And they don't give out of a heart of love and service. So Jesus says, invite the poor. Invite the crippled. Invite the lame. Invite the blind. And you will be blessed. So in a similar way as before, Jesus says, if you are seeking blessing in this life by inviting people who can bless you back, then you will not be blessed at the end time resurrection. You will have already received your blessing in this life. But if you seek blessing in the life to come by inviting people who cannot bless you back, the poor, the lame, the blind, etc., then you will be repaid. 
in the life to come. So in many ways, Jesus is exposing the way we are very often preoccupied with sucking every ounce of honor and blessing out of this life instead of trusting in the new life to come, which is actually where it's really at. This life is broken, broken by sin, corruption, sickness, and ultimately death. But in the age to come, it will be on earth as it is in heaven. There will be resurrection. Justice will flow as the streams come down the mountains. That's where we want to put our future hope. And our future hope is practically demonstrated in who gets invited to our barbecue. Jesus says, if your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors are the only ones getting invited over, then it is a clear sign your hope is in this life. You may swear up and down that you serve God, that you obey God, but so it was with the Pharisees. And Jesus says to them, you want to serve God, but you only serve those who can serve you back. So who are you really serving? Pharisees still haven't responded 2,000 years later because there's nothing to say. They were exposed in this mealtime test. When I was growing up, we had incredible family meals. My mom is an amazing Southern chef, and we all made time to be together as a family. It was a great experience. So I don't want to sound like I'm complaining here, being honest, and Lord willing, they're coming in a few weeks. So, But there was always pretty high standards for how we conducted ourselves, and I was a few dozen times threatened with being sent to etiquette classes, which I don't even know if they exist, but so she said. Family meals tested my manners, and I very often failed. Well, here too we see that Jesus at this meal was tested. He was set up. They were evaluating him carefully, looking for a way to trap him, to condemn him. But like the master of wisdom that he is, he turns the tables on them. He flips the scripts. They get tested. And they're speechless, defenseless, condemned. So church, having examined this scene from scripture, let's test ourselves. Does our heart align with the heart of Christ? Are we willing to touch the untouchables? Are we stirred to compassion and brokenness for the poor? Are we humbling ourselves before God and others? Are we okay to not be at the center of attention and get all the earthly praise possible? Are we demonstrating impartiality? Are we willing to open ourselves, open our homes to those who cannot benefit us? Church, our Lord taught this, he lived this, and in his death, he showed this. The cross was the greatest act of compassion ever. When Jesus took upon himself our sin so that we could be healed, the cross was the greatest act of humility ever. The Lord of glory, who is eternally worthy, was crucified as a criminal. And the cross is a great symbol of impartiality. It doesn't matter your background, your ethnicity, your economic status, your job status, your education, your accomplishments, your failures. All are equally welcome and all are equally valued. 
before the cross. So church, let's repent of our hypocrisy and let's follow the way of Christ, the way of the cross. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, we've gathered this morning to open our ears, to open our hearts, to hear from your word, to open our eyes together, to witness the life of Christ. And what a compelling figure. What wisdom, what courage, what security. Father, we pray that looking at his life, listening to your word, we would test ourselves. We would be honest with ourselves about our heart's attitude toward the poor, about our desires for attention to find security in that. Father, we pray that you would show us the cross in a new way this week and what it really means about your radical compassion and what it really means about your overwhelming impartiality. Anyone, anyone who comes to you will be healed. Father, this community has had churches in it for a long time, preaching, preaching, preaching. God, what this community needs is the witness of compassion, is the witness of a group of people who, yes, will faithfully declare the truth of the gospel, but maybe even more readily show compassion to the broken. So make us more like Jesus. Hear our prayer, God, as we pray to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.